Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, The Story Project. Pastor is going to come with another message for us in our current series, The Story Project, which we started about three weeks ago, and we started off with this big week of this overarching idea of what is the story, the Christian story, but also maybe the story of our world, the true story of the reality that we're living. What is it all about? And we talked about this idea that God wants to give us a full life as a gift, that this is the why of God, that this is the motive that moves the story along, that actually affects the reality, the world that we're living in. And then every week since then, we've been unpacking what that means. What does a full life really look like? What are those gifts that he offers us? And for the next five weeks, we're going to continue unpacking that. But this morning, I wanted to give you a little bit of a look behind the scenes, a little bit of a secret, a not-so-secret. But when we started to lay out this series, and we decided, what are the topics that we're going to choose? Because there's many gifts that God offers us. There's many aspects to this full life he offers. What are the ones we're going to choose? And when we got together and we decided to lay it out, we decided to choose topics that we thought would resonate with and answer the struggles of the next generation, our young adults, our millennials, our Gen Z members. And so we started to just think through, what are the things that they're looking for? What are the things that have shaped them and they're wrestling with? So our second week, we talked about purpose. For a generation that is globally minded, that wants to give back to society, but struggles sometimes to know how to do that, how to find or create a purpose, we talked about a meaning that no one can take away, that cannot be created by ourselves. And then in week two, we talked about peace, a peace that overcomes hurt and hate. For a generation, that was born out of the events of 9-11, for a generation that has grown up in a rapidly changing world due to the rise of technology and a chaotic and unpredictable marketplace. For that generation, we talked about the concept of peace. What does it look like to have peace and wholeness, this thing that perhaps you're striving for? Today, we're going to talk about loneliness. And in coming weeks, we're going to talk about authenticity and rest and compassion. And you may be here today and you're thinking, wait a second, (laughs) those are for the young adults? Like, I've been in this series and I've been loving it. It's been speaking to me and I'm way past the age of the young adults. And that's actually what we're finding. That although there are things that are different about each generation, that the language changes, the context changes, the way that we think about the world and process information, our presuppositions about the way the world is, although that changes, it turns out that the things that we long for, the things that we desire at the core of our very being are actually not that different. And in fact, they're not so foreign, they're really just human. So what we found is that this story has something to speak to all of us. And there's a lot of negative stuff up there about the next generation, but if you're here today and you're a young adult, we just want you to know. We see the things that you're wrestling with, and we get it, it makes sense. And we think 
that you deserve answers. And that's what the story is all about. It's one true story that doesn't change. It's been told many, many, many times throughout history from varying perspectives all throughout time for each generation because we believe it's a true story and it's a good story that deserves to be told for every generation, for every place in history. And so we've done this with you in mind. But we also think that there's something here for everyone, for every generation, for every age, for every place in life, that the fullness that we're looking for is found in a God who is goodness itself and wants to give us life. And this church is just a community of people who have been transformed by those gifts and want to testify to that, to share that story with you because we have been transformed by the fullness of life that God offers. So wherever you're at, we hope that you're enjoying this series, that you continue to kind of walk through it with us. And whether or not you believe the story is true, we just invite you to listen and to wrestle with it. And we hope that by the end of the series that maybe it will have offered a new thought for you, a new perspective. But whether or not you get to the end of the series and you believe that it's true, you're still family to us. And we're grateful that you're coming along in the journey. And whether you've heard the story a million times, we hope that each of us walks away with a new perspective. And perhaps for some of us who've heard the story many times, new inspiration for how it might relate to our friends, our coworkers, our children, or some of us, our grandchildren, because we believe it's a story that endures. So as we continue to worship together and to hear this next piece in the story, Will you pray with me before we continue? Father, we come to you this morning in gratitude. Grateful that you have invited us into your story. That you are at work in this world and that you are good. That you are a generous Father who just pours out gifts on us, Father, that frankly, we don't deserve. God, this morning, we just ask that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear you, that we might walk away from this morning, this series, this community, having seen you in a new way, Father, to see your heart for us, for our community and our world. And God, for those of us here this morning who sometimes struggle to believe that you're really out there, that wrestle with the concept that the story might be true. God, we just ask that if you're there, that you would speak to us. Thank you, Father, for your love and your generosity, that you would lavish your love on us to offer us the fullest life possible in this life and the next. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm glad we get to do this together because we're going to talk about uh, loneliness. So uh, it's 2019, months before, you know, pandemic world set in. And the headline is, there is an epidemic of loneliness. That seems a little bit dramatic an epidemic of loneliness. But the statistics 
bear it out. The numbers are, are all over the place, but none of them are good. In one significant survey, they said this. 36% of all people struggle with significant loneliness in their lives. 36%. And for young mothers, that number rockets to 51%. That's a majority. For millennials, roughly ages 25 to their early 40s, digital, many ways, natives, the number is a shocking 71%. 71% of millennials tell us they are struggling with significant issues of loneliness. And Gen Z, our high schoolers and our college students, those who have the biggest, most exciting, those were the best years of my life social circles, tell us that 79% of them struggle significant loneliness. Those are stunning numbers. So maybe the reason that we're lonely is that we weren't meant to be alone. I know that sounds like sort of duh, but let me say it again. Maybe the reason we have this sense of, of alone, of the gap between what I expected and what I experience. Maybe the reason I feel lonely is because I wasn't meant to be alone. And maybe the culture, the culture is selling us lies that are increasingly making us feel and experience Loneliness. You see, I think in many ways the, the, the rapid ascent, the epidemic we're experiencing that sociologists and medical doctors everywhere are telling us is an epidemic of loneliness. Maybe, maybe it's because there's a, there's a lie, there's a myth that's a part of their culture. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying like somebody comes up and whispers in your ear and says, oh, this is why. And like, I'm not, not, not telling you they're telling you a lie like that. I'm just saying that there's a, it, it's less, it's more of a, of a myth, the, the lie. It's the current of culture. It's like a stream that's flowing in one direction and it's flowing all in the direction of loneliness. And the only way to escape it is to be really, really good at swimming upstream or to be able to anchor yourself in the middle of that stream to hold against the lie, the myth, the stream of culture that is forcing us towards loneliness. So let me, let me begin here with what I, 
I would just call the, the lies of loneliness. You can call them the myths or the stream of loneliness. Call it whatever you want. And there's probably a longer list, but here's the ones I see, I hear about, I read about, and I talk to people about all the time. There are these myths, these lies. Here's the first one. We have to agree with you to be with you. Maybe this is the most insidious of all right now. I have to agree with you in order to be with you. Can we just agree on this? We are divided about everything. I mean, it's like we live in the most divided. The only thing we agree on is our sports teams. And tonight, we might not even agree on that. I mean, I just want to go to bed early tonight because I don't, I'm just like, I'm torn and it's a mess. And we're just, we're divided. And there's a little bit of our culture that we've bought into that, that says, I have to agree with you to be with you. Like, like, like we, we gotta, we, we gotta line up. In fact, one survey this past week noted that in the last year, one in eight people have ended a friendship over disagreements about the vaccine. That's a lot of people. In fact, I've now said that twice, second service, and I've noticed you weren't shocked. You didn't go, oh, I can't believe that. No, you kind of were like, huh, that low. I was thinking more, right? Like, we're, we, we, we see it. Oh, and, and it gets better because one in seven people say that this Christmas, they will not give someone a Christmas gift because of disagreements about COVID-19. I read that and I was in complete shock. I'm like, how do you know who you're going to give Christmas gifts already to? I'm not thinking that far ahead. I mean, outside of my immediate family, I certainly haven't come up with a list. Never mind a list of who's not getting. Like, you are nice. I gave you a Christmas gift in the past, but we've had a fight this year, and you're no longer worthy of my gifts. We can see it everywhere. We, we have this current that's racing towards, I have to agree with you to be with you. But it's, it's not the, the only one. There's, a, there's another one, and this one's old. This one's, this one's been around as long as the, the aura of Americana, and that is, I'm strong enough to do it by myself. You see, we love the solo celebrity. We love the myth of the hero, man. We just like, we, there's just something about the picture of a cowboy on a horse by himself overlooking a mesa. I may have just taken a vacation to the Southwest, so forgive me. But we love that stuff. We just love the picture of the strong, independent hero who fixes everything by himself. And we love to celebrate strong individuals. And somehow we've, bought into the myth that I got this. Yeah, I, I, I got this. Watch me. 
You see, we've been, especially people of uh, the, the boomer and extra generation, we've been, <laughs> we've been complaining about participation trophies for a long time. I mean, it's just, honestly, boomers, we hate that stuff. I'm an I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Xer, not a Z. Xer? That's the generation that doesn't get a special name like millennial or boomer. We just like got stuck in the middle. We don't really matter. Right? But we've been, we've been complaining like, oh, those participation trophies. Maybe, maybe the bigger issue is not that we've given out participation trophies. Maybe, maybe the issue is we've made too little of team trophies. Maybe we've elevated this idea, this myth that I'm strong enough to do it by myself to a level where we've just lived lives that are independent of others where they should have been dependent. Oh, and there's, a, there's, a, there's one more. It's the myth that social distancing doesn't cost us. Now, I'm actually not being controversial here, right? This started way, 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 way before the pandemic. Social distancing has been a thing. Uh, the book Bowling Alone uh, made a notable research fact of this, that our culture began to, to shift and to change. And, and, and all of a sudden, with the advent of the, of the garage and suburbia, we could, we could pull into our driveway, press a button, our garage door went up, we pull in the car, the garage door closed, and we never have to talk to anyone in our neighborhood. The front porch was gone, and we were able to do our thing. Sociologists have noted this for years now. And then there was, of course, the advent of social Media and social media promised us connection, connection, connection. It promised us friends. They even call them friends. I have thousands of them. And it's a myth. And yet people still get mad when you don't comment on their picture. Like surely out of all the thousands of people you're on social media with, you must have, you must have seen it. You must have known because I, I, because we've bought into this illusion that I could, I could, I could be socially distant yet socially connected in social media. And by the way, I'm on social media. I love social media, but it lies. So you have to use it appropriately. You have to know when it's telling you a lie. And the lie it's telling you is that you can be connected and still distant. No, 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 no. This is a, a doorway to connection, but it's not connection. In fact, the algorithms, the algorithms are meant to, uh, to group us into smaller and smaller and smaller groups. And it accelerates, it accentuates our sense of others and those people and groups that I like and groups that I don't like. So back to my original premise, maybe the reason we're lonely is that we weren't meant to be alone. Maybe we were made, literally created, to be together. So the very beginning of this whole story, Genesis chapter one, right? You know, the very first chapter, if there's four chapters, you know, creation, 
fall, redemption, restoration. The first chapter is creation. God makes us. And what does he make us for? He, he, he makes us in his image for others. Watch how the story plays out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, that's singular, let us make human beings in our image. That's plural, right? So for, in the very, very first pages, the very first verses of, of this story, we're introduced to a God who is one and yet three. This is what we call a mystery. That's because every explanation we come up for falls short. It's not an egg with a white and a yolk and a shell. It's not, it's not water and ice and smoke. Those all help us to get a little bit closer, but they all fall short of, of, of capturing mystery, this mystery that, that God, who is one, is in three persons. It's in unity. It's in community. And then it says, oh, you were made like that. You were made in his image. In fact, the very next verse, verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female. Created them. Like, like, so we get this, this first sense of, of, of man and woman. In fact, if you flip forward one chapter, so Genesis chapter 1 gives us the, the broad view of God's uh, creative work, and then chapter 2 kind of zeroes in a little bit and gives us a little bit more detail. And verse 18 is interesting because it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It is not good. So one of the very first things that this book, God's word to us, tells us about the nature of human beings is about relationship. That the reason we're lonely is because we weren't meant to be alone. That we have this relational God who made us in his image. And then he put us with others and we have this idea of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife and the, the union that can come from that, the connection and the, the support. And But that's not it. When you trace through the rest of the story, you get this whole story of, of how God brings his people together and, and how he's creating a people, he's creating a family. And by the time you get to the New Testament and you get to Jesus, you discover that Jesus is about to give us a gift, that, that Jesus, that God is making one family of all people through Jesus Christ. This is his great plan, and he gave that plan a name. Church. He called it church. Like he, he created a, a, a place for, for community, for, for people. He, play, he, he, he didn't mean for us to kind of take our faith individually and live it out alone. He, he wanted us because he knows how he made us. He created us as, as a church. 
See, when I say the word church, you get all kinds of images, right? For some of you, maybe you're, you're, you're watching this online or you're here and you're checking it out and you're like, I'm not sure what I think about church. Like church, church means lots of things. Like maybe your, your, your impression of church is like, you know, big building or institutions or budgets, or maybe you've got an even more cynical kind of jaded, like, oh, here we go, right? Because when you think of church, you think of scandals, you think of political action, you think of political parties, you think of abuse of authority. You've got a long list of things. You're like, well, man, listen, and, and you've got you've got proof, like you you can show, like, like these are all the stories. And so when you hear the word church, it comes with baggage, like, like, you know, this one seems okay so far, but I, you know, there's, there's others out there, and this is the story. And, but for some of you, your picture of church is, it, it, it's beautiful, and it's warm, and it's, you know, like when you think of church, you, maybe your memories go back to childhood, and you think of a Sunday school class where you just like, you learn the stories, and to this day, you've got verses and stories planted deep in your life because you learned them as a kid, and they're some of your favorite memories. Or maybe you come here and you, this is a highlight of your week. Like you, you come here and it's like, oh my goodness, you, you can't wait to worship, right? You're, you're in and it's like you come every week and every week it's like you're on the verge of tears and, and maybe you're not the crying type, but you're like inward. You're like, this is what I needed. I needed to worship and to sing and to be with other people and the warmth of, uh, of fellowship that comes a part of it. And, and, and you look forward to opening this word. And when you think of church, you think of a place where, man, we get to open this every week and every week I hear something that, that makes sense and it, and it fits in my life. Life. I love this. I love this place. And, and, and all of those things could be true on the negative and on the positive. But I'd like to give you uh, for, for a few moments just a, another, uh, another way to maybe envision church. Let me, let me give you a, a phrase. An enduring family. An enduring family. that God has been creating one enduring family out of all people. Like, this is what he's doing. It's a family. And that family is meant to, like, give us gifts. It, it puts a gift in your life. It, it gives you things that you, you need because you were made for them. And, and it gives others those things. And it helps you to be a part of that thing. It's what, it's what church does. And if I could, if I could just take a minute, or it's going to be a few more than minutes, but I promise it'll be worth it, right? It's to talk about the gifts, gifts of the church, the gifts of, a, of an enduring family. Here's the first one. I want to call it a table, a table to gather around. The church, this enduring family, it gives us a, a table, like it gives us a gathering place. I'm not talking about a physical table, but it could be a physical table. And it gives us a table and it gives us a seat at the table. It, like, it's, like a, it's like a gathering point. It's like a rock in the middle of that stream that's rushing you away from one another that just gives you something to latch onto. It gives you a, a table and a seat at the table to come back to week after week after week after week and find a place at the table. And usually at the table, there's food. I love that. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? Like when, when Jesus, like, like all through the story of Jesus, like, like read it, pick up a gospel. Jesus is always eating with people. It was like, it was like his, you know, secret sauce. Like, hey, let's have dinner. 
I want to talk to you. You know, hey, let's go to your house and have supper. You buy. I'll talk. Right? He did this all the time. Remember in Luke chapter 5, this great passage where uh, Jesus is called Levi, who's a tax collector, right? He's like, everybody hates this guy. Everybody hated the tax collectors. And Jesus comes to Levi and he says, Levi, let's go to your house and have, have dinner. This is how it reads in uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 29. Later, <clears throat> Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, let's have a, let's have, let's have a party at your house. Let's, let's all gather around your table. And, but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Like, like why, why is he with those? Like, well, he could have dinner with us, and he chooses to have dinner with, with them. But this is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was, was setting a table, and he didn't do it just once, right? He does it here, and then a couple of chapters later, his anointing happens at a dinner table. And then a few chapters later, he's with Mary and Martha uh, in the same area. He's feeding 5,000. He's Mary and Martha making dinner, famous story. It happens over and over and over and over again. And then, of course, you remember the very last instance instance when he's with his disciples what happens with his disciples he has what we call the the last the last supper and he calls them together his his infant church and he seats him at the table and that supper would become a memorial celebration for us communion first corinthians 10 you know what it calls it the lord's table that's what my grandmother always called it, the Lord's table. I didn't understand that, but I like the picture. I like the, the picture. Like, like, come together. We're around the table. There's a place at this table for you. That's what the church does. The church is a, it's a grounding place. It, come, it brings us back week after week after week to a table, to a gathering place. And sometimes a table even has food. That's even better, right? I mean, I mean really, I, uh, years ago, I had started a small group and for the first year, I led the small group. And people showed up because the pastor asked them to, but they didn't talk because the pastor was there and he was leading it. It was like, no, you're the guy that's supposed to talk. So the second year, I stopped leading it. And I asked somebody else, a good friend of mine, who I just thought the world of. His name was Josh. And some of you know Josh. He passed away about two years ago. Josh was a chef. And he was an awesome chef, but he, he loved Jesus, man. He just loved Jesus. He loved to talk about Jesus. I said, I go to a small group with this guy. And he was leading the group, doing a great job. We would get together every week, and we'd do the studies, and, you know, we would, you know, we were, whether it was on a video or Deep Six, and we'd do the discussions, and it was, it was all good. And then I had to go away. I was on a missions trip. So I was gone for two weeks. And when I got back, Josh pulls me aside and says, hey, pastor, while you were gone, we decided to change some things about the group. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I started this group. He said, we've decided to have dinner together every week. I looked at him, I said, Josh, I'm a pro at this. That's a dumb idea. Listen, I love food as much as the next person, but that will never last. Ten years later, 
people still making dinner for one another. Crazy. And we discovered he was smarter than me. Something happened around the dinner table that didn't happen around the discussion table. We became friends. We built relationships. You see, and I, this isn't about food, but boy, there is something about food. It's why the, you know, the young adults, they get together for cold brew because they're too cool for coffee. But cold brew works, and the, 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 the teens, this, right, right now, they, they had breakfast and Bible, right? So we come for breakfast and get Bible. And there's 30, 40, 50 of them there, you know, studying the Bible and having breakfast together. It's why we have a cafe. It's why we put seats up in the perch and let you bring your coffee and your breakfast sandwich and your friend and sit up there. And there, there's something around the table. And what I'm saying is that, that Jesus is creating a place, a community, a table where we come together. It's like an anchor and it brings us in. It's a table we can gather around. But it's something else. This is really important. It's a place for us to be unique and weak. Those are two different things. The church, this enduring family, is a place for you and I to be uniquely who we are and to be weak. Those are, those are two different things. You see, from the very, very earliest days, the church has struggled with the tension of, buzzword coming, diversity. From the earliest days. Because the church started off as this idea in the Jewish community, but Jesus didn't intend it to stay there. He intended it to be for the whole world. So as that idea of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus exploded out of Jerusalem and around the world, it suddenly became a phenomenon, not within the Jewish community, but within the Gentile community. And now you had these churches that were wrestling to come together around Jew and Gentile. And much of the New Testament is telling us the story about one enduring family figuring out how do we bring these two groups of people together. And Paul was determined, we are going to make this happen because of who Jesus Christ is. This is what we can do. We can come. And, and at first, the, the Jews, they were like, nah, you've got to become Jewish. And without going into a lot of detail, the process of a Gentile becoming a Jew was a painful process, and it would have severely limited evangelism. I'm going to leave it at that. And Paul steps in and goes, no, no. He's creating one enduring family of all people, Jew. In fact, maybe the most famous passage for this is Galatians chapter 3. I've read it before. I love this passage. In verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. This place, this house, this table is diverse. It is full of God's unique creation and people. We are gathered 
together in his name. And this is what it looks like. But the verse, of course, isn't done. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, it's not just, it wasn't just uniqueness, it was weakness. Did you catch that little second phrase, neither Jew nor Gentile? He says, listen, the church is, is not just for Jew and it's not just for Gentile. This is, it's both of us. It's in this place because of Christ. We are one family together. But then did you notice what he said next? He says, or slave and free. Hmm. Well, that's not just unique. That's a problem. And so what, what, what Paul is saying is in this place, in this house, around this table, slave and free. And, and here's how, what that meant. That meant that there were slaves and slave owners. The, the, he, he was like, bring, bring it in here. Bring, because, because no one, and I mean no one in the culture of the day, questioned the institution of slavery. It was considered moral and upright and part of the economy and part of the culture, and nobody was challenging it one bit until the church steps into the story. And they invite this into the church, and by the time you get to the book of Philemon, the institution, the wicked institution of slavery meets the enduring family of the church, and something begins to change because that institution meets an enduring family, and Paul says, oh, wait a minute, Philemon, that slave you own is your brother. You are now part of one enduring family. He begins to unravel that weakness, that brokenness. Let me put it this way. Do you, do you ever notice how at, when you're at home, you wear, you wear stuff you wouldn't wear out in public? Do you have like home clothes? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I got some home clothes, right? You know, just stuff that's like, yeah, that doesn't look good, right? But man, it's comfortable, right? It's like, it feels good. You know, them, those sweatpants, those, that puffy sweater, whatever it is. You got some stuff. That's your, that's your home. That's my, that's my home outfit, right? I got some stuff. I got, I got some, I got some sweatpants. Mm. I don't care. I don't even wash them that much because I'm afraid if I do, they'll fall apart. And here's the thing: like, I know she's not leaving me over sweatpants. She loves me. Like, like that's that's just like. Here, here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we need places where we can be, we can be uniquely who we are. We can gather around that table and just let our guard down and not have to dress up to impress anybody. Somewhere along the line, church became a place you came to impress people. Boy, was that a bad turn. We took a left turn. At, hey, we ain't supposed to be there. Like... We need places where we can be, where, where the uniqueness of how God has made us and who God has made us is welcomed at that table. 
Let me tell you what else happens, though. Sometimes you got stuff, you, you got outfits, and it should just go. I don't know about you. Like, I'll have, like, I had a pair of shorts, and I was like, where are my shorts? And Tam's like, I don't know. And I think she was lying. I think she just was like throwing those out when you're not looking. Right? Because you know what we need? We need people that look and go, I think it's time for that to go. That, that's not working anymore. That's the old you. Do you see what happens in the church, in a place where you come to a table with the unique and the weak and your weakness has a chance in the safety of community to be worked off and you got somebody you trust that whispers in your ear and goes, it's not a good look. It's not good. That's the old. You were made for something new. You see what happens in the church? Listen, there's only one way this works, right? This is a, this, this thing, this, this enduring family, this table of unique and weak. I mean, you look at it, it's a hot mess, isn't it? You look at it like, what, what keeps all of this together? What keeps hundreds and hundreds of people that are so, so diverse and so, like, like there's only one thing, and that, that is this. It is that, that there has to be a seat on that table. That table just can't be you and me. We're not that good. I'm not that good. You're not that good. There has to be a seat at that table for Jesus. Like the, that's the seat of honor. It, it's Jesus that brings us to the table. It's Jesus that brings us to this place. It's Jesus that changes everything. It's, it's Jesus that, that, that molds us and makes us. It's Him who affirms our uniqueness and convicts us in our weakness. It's, it's, it's Jesus that's at that table. And when we don't know how to wrestle with one another, when we want to give up, it's Jesus who draws us back and says, no, no, remember, remember, remember your dent. Remember your dent. Remember the grace I put in your life. It's Jesus. You see, he's the one who, who, who makes this work. In fact, did you see it? He says there's no more Jew and Gentile, no more slave and free, no more male and female, for you are one in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, the equation doesn't work, but because of Jesus, like we've, we've come around and we've found something that's more important to us than all of those differences. We found something that gives us grace when people are weak, when they're unique, when we don't understand them. We found something that makes sense of it all. Jesus. In fact, it's a couple of verses before verse 26. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Children. You see, that's what happens at the, at the table. We find a father that we can follow, that we can trust puts everything in perspective. If it weren't for the Father, the table doesn't work. The enduring family doesn't happen. The thing that draws us to this place and keeps us together, it's not a building. 
It's not a pastor. It's not a worship team. You may, you may mistakenly think those are all things that are attractive to you, but listen, let me, let me tell you, at the end of the day, it's Jesus. It's like we come around around this idea of Jesus. And I love the stories. I love the stories I get to hear all the time of people who wandered in one of these doors for some reason. Maybe a friend invited him. Maybe they were curious. Maybe they were at a low point. Maybe they were searching. Lots of, lots of reasons drawn here. And then they, they come and they, they find a seat at the table. And they get to be and reveal who they are and where they struggle. And I love the part where I get to hear how they, they, they find the Father. We've been sharing stories all this series, and I want you to listen to another one. We've purposely not shared stories that are all, you know, earth-shattering and moving. Sometimes they're just normal stories you and I can relate to. I wanted you to hear a story from one of our <clears throat> just-graduated teenagers, now a young adult who just talks about what it looked like to come and find a seat at the table and find the Father. Beautiful story. Take a listen to Nick's story. My name is Nick Santos, and I am from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So I went to Mashpee Middle High School, and I was one of the more popular kids. I was an athlete. I played football, basketball, ran track. I was a part of one of the championship teams as a freshman, and a lot of the older kids I used to hang out with so I could get in with the right crew. But that also led me to being with the wrong crew and doing bad things like smoking weed and drinking a little bit and partying. After partying and going home, I would feel kind of empty from not really feeling that joy that I had. After sobering up from either being high or being drunk, it just felt to me like I didn't have anything else going. And so I would just go to a party just for that fun because I just wanted to live in the moment and I wasn't really thinking about my future. I've always kind of believed in God, but I knew that going to church would help me get closer with God and follow a plan that I know he has for me. I wanted to find my purpose. So then I started coming to the loft more when I had the chance to. It just like helped me get closer to God and finding, helped me find my purpose in life. So my relationship with Jesus, ever since I've given my life to him, he's helped me be more kind and positive towards everyone. And he has helped me give me strength and courage to go attack the things that I would never have had strength to do in the past. And he has given me opportunities and given me relationships that help guide me in the right direction towards his plan. I actually um, have got this bracelet on my wrist, right? It's Joshua 1.9, and it is, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged, for Lord God is with you wherever you go. That quote has stayed with me since I like started coming to church, and 
It kind of helps me know that he's always there with me no matter what. He has guided me in the right direction to be able to coach middle school kids in football, to be able to come and hang out with everyone at the church and create new friendships and relationships that I never thought I would have had. My dog Tyler, shout out to my dog Tyler. Always giving the best energy that you can, even though people think you're weird, but I love it. Cody, you're just, you're a cool guy, man. I love you, Cody. You're just, you were one of the first people that I met at the loft. You were very welcoming to me. And as well as Hunter, you guys both just like to make jokes all the time with me and stuff. And I love you guys for that. And it's just so amazing to me that I can create these good, healthy friendships to where they all support me no matter what I do and I will do the same for them. My main goal in life is just to want to give back to everyone and just help everyone achieve their goals. I love that story. In case you're wondering, he's 18, not 35 like he looks. I love hearing how community works, how relationships and people are used by God to, to draw us towards life and life to the full. So here's my invitation to you as we close. I don't know where you're at or what step you need to take, but maybe for you, it's just pull up a bit closer to the table. Maybe you've just kind of like, man, just push back from the table, push back from the table, just been going it a bit alone, and maybe this is a moment for you to pull up close to the table build a relationship, step into a group, be a part of community. My invitation to you is to be a part of a church community that does something that's unusual. In fact, you won't hardly see it anywhere else. Build a place, be a place, be a people that welcomes the unique and the weak. Where we build relationships that defy the myths and the lies of culture and people look and go, how do they do that? Because then they Get to see Jesus. Because at the end of it all, we're inviting people to sit at a table so they can meet the guest of honor, Jesus. And maybe you're here and you are ready to be a part of God's family, to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, 2,000 years ago on a cross, he gave you the gift of forgiveness. But you have to decide what to do with that, to accept it. 
or to reject it. And maybe here today, hearing all of this, you're ready. That's what I need. I need to say yes to Jesus' gift of mercy and forgiveness of life and life to the full. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, as private as it can be in a room with hundreds of other people. I want to invite you to take that step, that that brave, bold step. You've, You've pulled up to the table. You've heard the story of Jesus. And maybe you've heard him knocking at the door of your heart. And you're ready to say yes. Then I'm going to invite you right where you're seated to pray. You don't even have to wait for me to lead in prayer. You can just begin to pray. Invite him into your life. Accept his gift of forgiveness. You might pray something like this, Dear God, you know me. You know everything about me. You know my unique pieces and you know my weak failures. And Jesus... I ask for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. I trust you and you alone as my Savior. I open the door to my life and I invite you in. I want to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series, The Story Project. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our live stream services on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.